Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. I'm Richard Walensky. This is KPFA's Bay Area Theater Podcast. My guest is Christina Algello, who is the artistic director of the Exit Theater, but more importantly is the artistic director of the 26th annual San Francisco Fringe Festival, which will be at the Exit Theater in San Francisco. That's 156 Eddy. Between Mason and Taylor. On September 8th through 23rd. I've been hearing about the Fringe Festival for years, but I've never really looked into it. What exactly is the Fringe Festival? Well, the Fringe Festival is a celebration of indie theater artists and performing companies, first of all. San Francisco Fringe Festival, I sometimes say, is the best kept secret in town because, as you suggest, this is our 26th year and you haven't. (laughs) So please come see the Fringe. We are a small company on Eddy Street, Exit Theater. We have three venues. And the Fringe itself is an idea that started 70 years ago in Edinburgh. If anybody knows the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, they're celebrating 70 years. About 35 years ago up in Edmonton, a few artists got together and decided they would create a festival that was open access, which means non-curation. Do you mean that People just submit and they're automatically in. No. We take submissions in January. We put our applications up in December, submissions through about the end of January. Mid-February, we have a lottery. And so we pull names out of a hat. So that's what non-curation, open access is probably a better terminology for it because it is open. Anybody can apply. There's a small application fee to help us process. And then we pull 30 names out of hats. Some local, some out of town, some international, depending on the length of show that we have a up to 90-minute limit, although we have only three spots for 90-minute shows. Most of them are 60. The 90-minute shows are something we added in about five years ago because it seemed that some people were being prohibited from applying to the Fringe because of our 60-minute limit. And being okay. an open-access festival, I wanted to extend that. Plus, I'm a performer, and some of my shows are longer than 60 minutes, so I like the opportunity to be able to do that. But we limit those. You have 30 shows, right? Yes, People submit their applications. They are self-producing their shows, basically. So each venue has 10 different companies performing in our three different venues. And in each venue, there's one slot available for a 90-minute show. So when I say there's limited, most of our shows are 60-minute shows. And anybody who has a theater piece could submit it into the lottery? Anybody. It's open access. Anybody. This could be a professional company that just decides they want to come to San Francisco, or it could be some stand-up comedian who has never been in front of an audience. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And it has been all of those things, anywhere from a very seasoned professional artist to people who are just out there. A lot of it is people who were the first time on stage, and yet some of them are companies who want to experiment and try something different, you know, out of the ordinary for themselves. Some of the most famous companies in the Bay Area were kind of started out at the San Francisco Fringe Festival. Like what? Uh, Cutting Ball Theater, Shotgun Theater. Those are the two off the top of my head. I'm a little dingy today, having gotten just back home last night myself. The Fundy one. Yeah, Fundy up in St. John. What exactly do you do? I'm a performer, an actor, producer. Obviously, with Exit Theater and The Fringe, I'm a producer. But I started out as an actor, so I have a solo show called Denial is a Wonderful Thing, which is a storytelling show. Uh, I took that to Frigid Fest in New York this past February, March, which Exit Theater helped create in New York City, which I call a pure fringe because it is not curated. 
It's open access. Some of these fringes are curated then? Not in Canada because they have copyrighted the word fringe, and so that's a trademark, and they have to apply to be a fringe festival and follow the mandate, which is an open access mandate, plus 100% of the ticket price goes back to the performers. So the fringe is really an opportunity to earn a living to a degree. Some people work the fringe festival six months, earn a living, write a new show, and go back out on the road. How many submissions do you actually get? Uh, I think this year we got about 120 submissions for 30 slots. So about a quarter of them. Yeah, it's a, you know... That's your chances. <laughs> and, you know, some people get picked every year, and some people it takes five or six years to get picked. It's the luck of the draw. How many fringe festivals are there? This last year I was in Montreal, and we had a global fringe conference, and I believe there's probably globally 200 fringes, and this last year about 80 were represented in Montreal. So we got to meet each other as far away from Taiwan, Milan, Sweden, Canada, the States. So conceivably somebody can apply to 50 or 60 of these hopefully get into enough to make a, a living? Um, I think uh, the, the most successful I've heard about making a living is the Canadian circuit, which is the original North American circuit, the one that we are part membership of, CAF. Mm -hmm. And that starts in the East Coast in the kind of springtime and goes over to the West Coast up through fall because it's Canada. So it's a summer touring schedule. But as things started to grow, uh, there's regional touring circuits like in the Northeast part of Canada. In the States, uh, I believe the first fringe started in Seattle a few years before us. Then Orlando Fringe, which is a huge festival in Orlando, is about six months older than we are. And each of these festivals would have 30, 20, 30, 40. Oh, some have 100, 150 people. Yeah, 150 different shows. I can't give you numbers off the top of my head, but I know the Edinburgh Fringe itself, the grand fringe of its own, has like maybe 2,000 shows over the month of August. Christina Ogello, from your experience over the course of 25 previous shows, about how many are actually good I mean, obviously, it's a crapshoot no matter what you go to. But what's the odds that you're going to wind up with a spectacular show, a good show, or just something where you can go, hey, I saw it? You know, good is a, one of those relative words that I find difficult to use when it comes to the arts. But I think you, if you came to see, let's say, four shows at the okay. Fringe, and we encourage people, that's why the ticket prices are so low. We also sell passes to make them even lower. Encourage people to see more shows, the concept of the audience fringing as well as the performers fringing. If you take, let's say, four shows, I would imagine you might get a spectacular one, fantastic one. And word of mouth through volunteers and staff and other performers is good to listen to when you come to the Fringe site. And you get maybe two good shows, you know, good shows. And every so often, not very often, you run into a stinker. But that's relative, you know, to what you like and what you don't like. Christina Augello, let's look at this year's Fringe, which is the 8th through the uh, 23rd of September. There are 120 performances, which means each of these shows, some do one, some do no, three. No, everybody gets four performances. Okay. Yeah, 30 times four gets 120 different performance times. You have three venues. I've only been to one venue at the exit, the main venue. Uh, what we are the other a, venues? We have the exit studio, which is 36 seats, exit stage left, which is 49 seats, and our main stage, the exit, which is 80 seats. Who determines what goes into what? They choose their own venue when they apply. A lot of out-of-town performers will choose a smaller venue knowing that they're from out-of-town. Being an out-of-town performer myself, it's difficult when you're not from the area to develop that audience. Although some people have run away with it because their shows, they've, they've either been really social with people around the fringe or the buzz has caused their show to get a lot of attention. But it's difficult. How many of these shows have performed elsewhere, and how many are first-timers? Do you remember offhand? Oh, offhand, that's a tough number. A lot of them are on tour right now. Poonstruck, Black, I performed with them in New York. 
Dandy Darkly is a, a touring performer. Uh, I'd have to like have a piece of paper in front of me to really answer that clearly. So some of these are, are, are only fringe in the sense that they tour the fringe circuit, but in terms of being, say, edgy or something, they may not be. They may just be really good shows. Sure. And fringe doesn't mean you have to be edgy. It means that it's uh, basically an independent, I call it indie theater. It's not your mainstream commercial theater. It's more your off-off-Broadway theater. There's some interesting shows there, um, and I wonder if you've seen any of them. Hitler in the Green Room. I haven't seen any of the shows yet because okay. their names are pulled out of the hat. And some of the out-of-town shows have been done before. I did see Black because I was in New York and we performed at the same festival, which is a great show. Hitler in the Green Room. That's a company that's worked at the Fringe before. Keith Haddock and his company have done maybe, I think, two Fringes previously. It's been several years since they've done a Fringe. But their work is always fun, musical, always. I've seen their work before, so I'm looking forward to seeing their work again. Other, you read their reviews. Um, a big thing we do at the San Francisco Fringe is audience reviews. We encourage the audience to post reviews on our website. You can peruse the audience reviews and get an idea of what people think. And also talking. The volunteers are really ready and able to tell you what they like and don't like. And volunteer is very important to the Fringe. And you said that Dandy Darkly is part of a circuit? Oh, well, he's been on the road. So he's one of those companies. He's a performer who goes out and performs at different festivals. Uh, Kelly Nesbitt from Poonstruck is someone who's, I think she just did the Boulder Fringe, possibly. I may be wrong. But she's, those are people who are doing festivals. Some of our local performers have gone out. I know Jill Weiss, who did our Fringe a couple of years ago, is up in Indy finishing up. Maria Finito did our Fringe. She just finished up in Boulder. Do you have people who come in, say, from the Marsh in Berkeley or San Francisco? Jill Weiss has worked at the Marsh, and so she's worked at our Fringe Festivals, yes. And David Kleinberg has done work at the Marsh. He's done the Fringe before. He was there a couple of years ago doing the Fringe Festival. And now he's doing Return to the Scene of the Crime, which is a, a kind of a sequel to his previous show. So how does it work in terms of the technical aspects? They supply what and what do you supply? Uh, the excitement about the Fringe and the wonderful thing about the Fringe Festival, especially ours because we have great staff, is we provide front of house support. We provide tech support, tech rehearsal. So really, they could show up just with their show and go on stage and do it. They need a, actors and directors and that's it? Maybe sets? We encourage them to not have too much sets because you have 15 minutes to load in and 15 minutes to load out. <laughs> right. There's no place to store things. So really, those are road shows. It's like the old vaudeville. You know what I mean? When you hit the road, you went on. You didn't haul a truck full of stuff with you necessarily. A lot of shows are very lightweight on sets. So sometimes, and some of them come in and they'll give a long list of light cues and some will just say... I don't know. <laughs> we have a lot of really great technicians who work with the Fringe year in and year out. Some of them are lighting designers, sound designers. Some of them um, are technicians year-round. My production manager is stellar. She is so good. Uh, months before they ever even get here, she sends out a tech form. She interacts with each person individually, understands their needs, tries to help them if they can't do plan A. She'll suggest plan B. We ask sometimes to have a stage manager if it's a complicated show, so one technician can't run sound and lights if it's too much. We ask them to limit them to how many sound cues you have and how many light cues you have because it's a 60-minute show primarily. Right. It's a quick in and out. You get a two-and-a-half-hour rehearsal for the 60-minute shows, tech, and three-and-a-half for the 90-minute shows. Uh, so you want to be not overburdened. Although I think the most exciting thing with the Fringe is because you don't have the opportunity for the sets, you can do uh, sound and lights and costumes and, of course, performance. I guess you're right. It, it's sort of like an indie film, only it's, you don't Live. raise your own, <laughs> well, you don't raise your own money, but if you can kind of get together actors, rehearse, send out applications to say 30 Fringes and 
you, the odds are you're going to get into one or two, and you get your play performed. Yes, you do. I mean, it's a way to get produced. It's a way to have a great support system to get your show produced. Plus, you earn money. You get 100% of the ticket price. goes back to you. So the performing companies are actually able to earn some money to offset their overhead. And there is such a thing as a touring lottery that CAF, who we are a member of, has a touring lottery. So you can apply to up to five festivals and know you're going to have a spot in those festivals. Well, if someone's hearing this for the first time and they're a playwright and they have friends who are actors... How far in advance would you have to apply? Well, as I said, our applications will be coming up in December, early December, for our 2018 festival. We'll take them in till about maybe the third week of January. Then we'll sort them all out and have our lottery. It's in advance. Although some people don't write their shows till July if they're on the wait list. We had a great show years and years ago called Beauty, which was a stellar show. They didn't get into the fringe until July, and that's when they wrote the show. <laughs> Over the years, 25 years, have any of these shows gone on so that we've heard of the shows? People ask me that all the time, and I wanted to say somebody just did, and now, like I said, I'm a bit overtired today. There have been shows, though, that came out of different fringe festivals who have gone to off-Broadway and Broadway. Not a lot, though. I mean, it's really, you know, indie theater is unto itself, and there's a big circuit of famous kind of indie performers within that world. The exit itself, you don't curate the exit either in that sense. I'm the founder, artistic director, 35 years we've been doing business. We rent our venues, license them for performances, and we don't curate. It's an open access. If it's open and you want it, we're happy to have you. Uh, we also have our own season, though, which is curated. So there's the exit season itself, and then you'll go out to Cutting Ball or Shark or whatever other well, companies. Cutting Ball is a theater in residence at Exit on Taylor, so they've been with us for several years now. Our three other venues, which are in the main area on Eddy Street, we have our season that sprinkles throughout the year. Some of them will be in the stage left, some will be in the main stage, some will be in the studio. We have a cafe that seats 25 people because we serve food and refreshments and stuff. And there we have comedy, we have magic, we have burlesque on a regular monthly basis, Saturday Right Fever, where people come together, write plays, and then perform them right then and there. The website is? The Exit, two E's, one word, dot O-R-G. Christina Augello, let's go back to the origins of The Exit. What were you doing and what made you found a theater company? Well, ever since I was a little girl, I've been part of the theater because I was raised in a uh, bar and restaurant that was a theater place, you know, where road shows come through and hang out, and I got to go to theaters. And where was it? In Buffalo, New York. It was okay. called Jew Murphy's Omega Cafe. It's actually in my show, Denial. <laughs> it's in there. I refer to that. And my dad was a great supporter, would take me to nightclubs and floor shows and have me paraded around on stage and stuff. And then I also got to meet Colleen Dewhurst came home for breakfast one day while she was doing Josie and the Moon for the Misbegotten. So I've always been exposed to theater, and I've always loved theater. I chased my dream as an actor in New York and in Los Angeles. Realized I didn't like commercial theater. I mean, I really didn't like to be told what to do or... I'm an artist who wants to do the kind of work she wants to do. And so the best place for me is in indie theater. And also, as long as I've got a theater of my own, that makes it so much easier. <laughs> so um, I did start Exit Theater kind of on a lark many years ago in the Cadillac Hotel in the Tenderloin with local seniors disabled people, and we would write agitprop shows about the Tenderloin in the beginning. And then different people I had studied with as an actor, they started knocking on the door when we had a venue and said, I'd like to rent your venue. Could I rent your venue for a show? So that kind of escalated and grew. And over the past 35 years, we've gone from one 49-seat venue to having five venues, anywhere from 25 to 80 seats. It must be pretty scary moving from one venue to another because it's always a step up. It's in a better location, has larger seating. My 
objective was never to start small and grow big. It was really to grow across the board, to have many small venues to support many artists, because our primary mission is to support artists and develop an audience for that work. You and, say, Piano Fight, which is another company similar to yours in that they have multiple venues. Right. I noticed that your audience and their audience tends to be young, whereas the audience at other theater companies tends to be much older. I think it's important that we have venues that support and develop work that'll attract younger audiences because we have to keep, re, you know, the pool has to keep being replenished for audience members. I think a lot of that has to do with the age of the performers as well. You know, half the audience will probably be people who know, you know, in the audience. I think the Fringe Festival in particular brings out an older audience, people who have come year in and year out. who You may not see throughout the year. They just come in for the Fringe to check out shows. You have not seen any of these shows yet. I did see one in oh, Frigid Fest. Black. I did yeah. that because I was performing in the same festival. Do you plan on seeing all of them? I try to see all of them. That's my objective. Some years I succeed and some years I don't, depending on how many fires have to be put out throughout the festival. <laughs> <laughs> well, what kind of fires come up? Oh, you know, staffing issues. You know, a house manager doesn't show up. A box office needs to be covered. So you have to, you know, take care of that instead of, like, going to see a show. Not a lot. I mean, at this stage of my career as the founder and artistic director, I have great staff. So I'm usually able to go see shows. When there are 120 performances between that amount of time, are they all in the evening except on weekends? How does that work? Uh, we're dark on Mondays. We have performances Tuesday through Friday, 7 and 8.30 p.m. And then on Saturdays and Sundays, they start at 2.30 and go through about 8.30, 9 o'clock. And if people go to the website, I mean, I did, and I noticed that each of the shows has its own page with different information. So you could find out whether these shows have played elsewhere, right? Sure. There's information. We encourage all the companies to get their information to us so we can post about them, you know, cast and crew information, bios, pictures, other reviews, other festivals they've done. With the internet, information is just so accessible. So we try to give as much as possible for the audience to uh, peruse and decide what shows. Some people sit down before the festival and they take the program and they figure it out. Other people go on the website. I'm still a paper person, so I like the program. We are currently in a rather ghastly political environment right now, and this is an uncurated festival. What would happen? Would you do anything if, say, a Nazi play showed up? We do have Hitler in the Green Room, which has five singing and dancing. Yeah, but that's, a, that's more <laughs> um, Mel Brooksy. Come on. Yeah, I think the only restrictions are if anything were to jeopardize the audience. So no, it's definitely an open access. I would not stop a show from going on stage unless it had some physical threat. You know what I mean? There's legal things that are issues, but open as far as artistically, totally open which makes it a difficult situation, as, you, as we both know right now. So you could conceivably have a show that gets an audience up in arms. Well, a lot of shows get audiences up in arms. Yep. <laughs> Depends on where you are. Okay, well, let's, <laughs> let's talk about that. Can you remember shows where the audience just kind of revolted? Actually, there was one show where we had a real crazy person. A guy, um, Matt, from uh, the UK came in, and he was a poet, and he did some spoken word poetry, et cetera, et cetera. I was in the audience that night, and all of a sudden, from the back of the room, somebody had just thrown a garbage can with bottles in it, sailing over the audience, fell under the stage, but no one was hurt, so that was great. Then someone grabbed him and took him out, and you know he was removed from the audience and stuff for being that. But obviously it affected him, or he was you know maybe out of sorts. <laughs> well, then it sounds like if it's only been the audience that's gone ballistic and not people on stage, you're actually kind of lucky. <laughs> 
people on stage don't go ballistic. I mean, you know, some things are pretty intense. A couple of years ago, we had a guy come down from Canada who was uh, anti-circumcision, and he had a quest. His shows were for free. He showed some pretty graphic films and... The thing that got me the most was the crying baby, and one poor gentleman in front of me just fainted, just slipped right down. I mean, really? it was pretty intense, the stuff that was on stage. But that was his quest, was to make his point. What about the other side of it, where you saw a show that even through the haze of flying back from uh, St. John's, Newfoundland, you can remember, that was so amazing that you still remember it all these years later? I would say Beauty is one of the shows that I always remember, and it was so stellar done. It was a piece that was written on Jean Genet, and it was done a long time ago. But I have to be careful because I've seen so many shows, and right now, like I said, my brain's a little tired. But lots and lots of great shows. I mean, I'm always so touched. Uh, I try to go to the first show pick one that's going to make all this hard work because everybody works very hard. You've know, got really right. long days, and people are really kicking, and everybody kicks in a lot to make it happen. And uh, I try to find a show on my first Friday at 7 o'clock that's going to speak to me because I usually wind up in tears, just gratified that, you know, I, right now just thinking about it and talking about it makes me very, that this is happening, that live theater, independent theater, all these opportunities are right there, and I have something to do with it. That is really very satisfying and gratifying, and it's so wonderful to see shows take off. There was a show called The Submarine Show, now that I think about it, that was done a couple of years ago. Slatterpenny and I, uh, Nathaniel Justiano did the show, and it was wonderful, and I ran into somebody up in Fundy Fringe who had produced them in Kansas City. Last year, there was one, uh, the Cater Waiter, that was done that was just stellar. I know that in the past, the Chronicle will give a list sometimes of around 10 or 12 shows to see, so people could check that out, too, if they want. Uh, it's difficult. You know, the media, we've it's dried up a lot, that print media in particular. I'm happy I'm talking to you today to help promote the festival because we need the word to get out about the festival. In other communities, a lot of the time, every single show gets a review. I was up in Winnipeg and performed twice, two years in a row, and got a review for both shows. Here, unfortunately, uh, we don't have as much print space, and there's just so much going on. The Bay Area is full of arts, and so there's so much to pay attention to. But uh, we've been really very fortunate, you know, to get the Chronicle to come. And usually they'll spend a day at the Fringe. Lily's coming to spend a day at the Fringe and seeing different shows this year. And I really appreciate that support. There's been a cutback in the way that people can find out things now. Well, you know, with the Internet, I think that's where everybody heads. Like I said, you know, we used to print 10,000 paper programs for the Fringe Festival. Yeah. Now we print 3,000 paper programs. All of our information is on a phone app, so you can look it up on your phone. I mean, it's just a changing time. You can Google SF Fringe and find out about the shows. But it takes the effort, you know. And as I said, if you come to the festival, word of mouth is big. It's really, really big. Sit in our cafe and listen to what people are saying, and you know what show to go see. Or at least it'll give you their opinion of the show and if that suits you. I know that they're trying to, certainly Carrie Perloff with The Strand has been trying to make that area more of a theater area. Are you affected by it at all? You know, Market Street's a long way from Eddy Street. But I'm really excited. You know, 35 years ago, we began Exit Theater. And we actually put out something called a Tenderloin Performing Arts. And we try to encourage people to come because you have many, many storefronts available with the nonprofit social service agencies running the housing and the SROs. Now we've got Cutting Ball there. We've got Piano Fight there. 
Joe uh, Landini's coming in with his company across the street. Safe House for the Arts, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So now, in the past five years, there's many, many things happening. You've got Counterpulse now on Turk Street. So five, ten years, it's really started to change. And we are in the downtown theater district. We have a map in our hallway, if you ever come to the theater, which I hope you will. And it's just the surrounding. I mean, there's just so many performing arts venues within walking distance of Exit Theater. And we're right at Powell and Market, so we are in the middle of downtown San Francisco. I want to get back to what I asked you before about market. I know that they want to move things down there. Would you be interested in in opening a venue down there if you had the opportunity? No, I don't think so. I have five venues already to take care of. (laughs) You know what I mean? I produce a lot of festivals. I'm a performer myself. I think we've grown to our capacity. I mean, totally, we have about 250 seats the multiple venues that we have. So I prefer to have 250 seats in multiple venues than one 250-seat venue. Christina Ojello, since The Exit does its own season, Mm -hmm. and we're coming up on the next season, what are some of the shows that you have coming up? I'm going to be in Exit the King by Eugene Ionesco. And in the early years of Exit Theater, we did lots of Ionesco plays. He's one of my favorite authors. We're going to have a Fog City Magic Fest, a burlesque extravaganza, Exit the King, Undiscovered Works, which we work with Custom Made Theater to um, present some of their new works. Congresswomen is a play by uh, Stuart Bousell, an adaptation. Talk Story, which is a new festival for us, a storytellers festival, will be in June. A new play that Ariel Craft is going to be directing uh, and adapting called Cyrano. Of course, then we have the Fringe Festival again in September. And then at Christmas, Stuart Bousell and Allison Page, two award-winning playwrights, are going to write Vampire Christmas for a Christmas show. I have no idea what that's going to be yet, and I'm not sure they do. So we do have our own season, but that's in conjunction with many other shows. I mean, sometimes you go into the exit, and there are 250 people in the building if you go to all the venues. Do you do any directing? When I came back from Los Angeles, I was so burnt out on the whole commercial theater world as an actor that I said, the hell with that. So I did direct for the first 10 years of Exit Theater's existence. And then one night I was watching someone on stage and thought, God, they're having a good time up there. You know, so I went back to acting again. Well, now you have a one-woman show. What's the name of the show? This one is called Denial is a Wonderful Thing. I wrote with playwright John Calden, and it's based on my life. And where is that going to be playing next? We did it here at Talk Story this past June, but I've been invited back to two festivals in New York, uh, United Solo Festival and uh, the Gotham Storytelling Festival. And I just so happen to be going to Chiang Mai in Thailand. And at the Gate Theater, they're going to host a performance of it. And I've actually proposed the idea of a fringe festival to the Gate Theater. So when I'm there for three weeks, um, we will talk about the possibility of co-producing a fringe festival in Chiang Mai. Christina Augello, when does Exit the King open? Exit the King, I believe, opens March 16th and runs through April 7th. I think Exit Theater has done more Ionesco in the Bay Area than any other theater company. I noticed online that you're very interested in absurdist theater. Yes, I am. Why? (laughs) As a kid at 18, I was in Buffalo, New York, and I saw an ad in a window, a little storefront theater called the Greensleeves, saying, Help Wanted. I walked in the door and I met a man named Joe Kreziak. His dog was named Ionesco. Now, I was a Catholic high school girl, so I had never been exposed to that type of theater. Working with him for several years, I just learned so much. And I love the absurdity, the, the existential concepts behind absurdity. You know, you've got Beckett and Waiting for Godot, which is famous. But for me, Ionesco, Beckett's sad to me a lot of times and, and nothing to look forward to, although Godot is a wonderful piece. But Ionesco's a little more fun. He laughs at the idea that we're all going to die. <laughs> so I figure I might as well laugh at it as I grow older, definitely. And Exit the King is about dying. How many uh, actors were in it? Six. 
And Stuart Bowsell will be directing the piece. Um, he's worked with the Exit. He's an artist in residence at the Exit. Don Wood is going to be in it. Mika Bonell is going to be in it. Uh, you have equity and non-equity? No, no. We're an indie theater, and we haven't grown up to be a Lort theater, so equity will not work with us anymore. So oh, well. their loss. <laughs> Christina Ojello, are you working on any new shows for yourself these days? Well, I'm going to be an Exit the King, but I also am doing workshops for Talk Story. Being a personal storyteller was a new way. I've always been an actress who played another part. So it took me a while to come around to the idea of telling a personal story is actually theater. But with my show currently, I really feel that it is a good show. I'm very proud of it. So I'm going to start working on a show. I've been a bartender at a place called The Saloon in North Beach. It's the oldest bar in San Francisco, Blues Bar, since 1861. Well, I've worked there 32 years as part of my day job gig. I still have one shift a week I work there. So I think I'm going to start writing uh, stuff about the saloon because it's so unique and interesting. So I'm going to want to develop a new storytelling piece, basically. If people have stories they want to tell, I know what the marsh does. What do you do? Well, basically, it's something new for us, the talk story idea. There's about a half a dozen people who have contacted me who would like to come to our weekly workshops. And then hopefully once a month, we'll have a stage where they can invite audience to come and give them critique or present something. Not quite sure. So people can just email me, mail at the exit.org, put a little note saying I'd like to come and uh, participate because everybody has a story. The San Francisco Fringe Festival, September 8th through 23rd, 30 unique shows. You go to the website sffringe.org and click on different shows and there are different packages, ticket packages that people could find out about it. In addition, they can go to the Exit Theater website, which is theexit, T-H-E-E-X-I-T dot O-R-G. 